Hello and welcome to the Inside Ellen Road podcast from the Yorkshire Evening Post. This is episode 79. I'm Graham Smith, Chief Football Writer, and I'm joined by Joe Urquhart, one of our Leeds United writers, to discuss all things Leeds United um, at a time when the mood has gone from tense and worried on the verge of panic and meltdown to what was all the fuss about. Um, I think we'll start, Joe, Uh, in the car park of a service station on the M1 en route to Brentford when we were walking back to the car because I had very kindly kindly and selflessly... Kindlessly. (laughs) Selflessly volunteered to drive all the way to London. Um, And a gentleman approached you in the car park. Tell the story. It wasn't... I don't know, this is really weird now. This is really weird. Like it's not even that. You've made it out to be a lot more dark than it it, it will be. Just tell the story. Essentially, Joe. he tried to sell me a TV, which, when you actually think about it, is really weird. I mean, it is really weird. But then when you think about it, it's really really weird. Like who is going to a service station to buy a new Samsung TV, especially off a bloke in a white van who's just driving around in circles, asking everyone who's walking in and out of the the service station. You definitely look the type though who would, <laughs> who would buy a TV. In a service station car park. It's what? How much? <laughs> but every time we go to London, Leeds United tend to get diddled by a referee and you tend to get some kind of weird interaction. Yeah, well, this is we haven't even touched on the Nottingham Forest encounter yet, have we either? Remind me? You don't remember this. Oh, I do. But you almost the, had to step in. Yeah. So previously on a trip to London, you came out of the train station and a guy just told you to do one, in, but in different terminology. Yeah, I don't even know what that was about, but that was literally about 30 seconds after getting off the train. Essentially, this bloke came up to me and said, hi, happy new year. I think he was trying to sell me something. <laughs> Again. And then, essentially, I just went, no, I'm all right, thanks, mate. I'm just waiting for... I didn't I didn't say pal, but I guess you are a pal. And then, yeah, he told me to F off. Go forth and multiply. <laughs> and then at Forest, again, you just must have... You just attract this. There were a couple of Leeds fans. They, I mean, hopefully the listeners to the podcast seem to be big fans of yours. Um, they were two Northern Irish youths with their family, some of whom supported Forrest, but these lads supported Leeds. A couple of fairly heavy set, strong looking lads. Um, could have been farmhands, I don't know. But one, <laughs> one of them said, are you, are you Joe Urquhart? In a very broad Northern Irish accent, kind of giving you a glare. And as you said, yes, he raised his hand and I genuinely thought for a minute, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to take a punch here for Joe Urquhart. Well, I, I just thought, like, immediately, what, like, Twitter indiscretion is this for? <laughs> I, are you somehow in, in some way loosely known to Ashley Cole? or <laughs> As Cole sent you? Lee Johnson or <laughs> anyone. Like, I just thought, I, I, this has been coming for a while and yeah. this, is, this is it. But, yeah, thankfully, but they, just they, they just wanted to shake my hand. They shook so. your hand. Um, and, then, and then later on... They made a wee bit too much noise when Alioski had a chance and uh, outed themselves to someone beside them as Leeds fans and it all got a bit melodramatic for a minute. Um, but what was nice about that moment was that when one Forest fan was trying his, trying desperately to alert the attention of everyone in the stand to the presence of Leeds fans who were causing no trouble, a Forest fan in front turned around and said, leave it out, mate. Just leave them alone. It is that weird tribal thing, isn't it, though? Like, you, you can't sit here. You're supposed to be the other side of those stewards. Like, just get over it. Just, and, and Why the, can't we all just the sit together? As the Leeds fans kept saying, we're just here to watch the football. Just wise up. 
wise up, mate. Just wise up. And eventually he did wise up. Um, so if you ever see Joe Arkett out and about at a Leeds game, feel free to come up and introduce yourself. Don't in, slap me, though. Uh, in some kind of amusing fashion so that we can talk about it on the podcast and continue the theme. I think maybe we should just keep a track and then at the end of the year pick the best one. Yeah. So Brentford, whilst it had Joe's usual weird interaction, it did not have a refereeing indiscretion because uh, referee was actually fairly decent on that occasion. A great game at Brentford that Leeds United dominated, keeping one of the division's best attacks quiet for the vast majority, um, apart from one moment where they scored a goal that ought to never really have happened. It was 1-1 at the end of that. Brentford taking advantage of Kiko Casillas' calamitous error when he allowed a routine back pass to slip under his foot. We'd been talking about Kiko on the way down to the game and about how you know we felt there couldn't possibly be another mistake in this one because at Forest he, he was beaten at his near post with a shot that I think most would agree he should have saved. So to see the ball roll into the Leeds net, uh, undoing all their good early work in that game, it was just one of those I-can't-quite-believe-what-I've-just-seen moments. Well, you say that, but then you probably can believe it given the confidence and form that's been been following him round. But yeah, I think uh, when the ball came across from, from Cooper, a lot of people in the press box looked down at their laptop in like unison as if like, that's fine, that's fine. It'll just be cleared upfield or it'll be knocked out to Wailing. And then there was like this gasp around us and everyone and suddenly everyone looked up and, and they were scoring and it was like, how the heck has this happened? And I can't remember who it was. It might have been even been Johnny Buchan at the um, at BBC Leeds who looked over and just had his head in his hands. And I was just like, yep, yeah, that pretty much sums it up. Um, but just frustrating, wasn't it? Because they started that game so, so well. And we were all worried going down there about the fact that they just needed some form of performance, regardless of... Well, they needed a result at the same time, but it was more the performance and, and that showing of fight, isn't it, that, that we all wanted after a disappointing day at Forest, I think it has to be said. So I think we got that, and it was just a shame that that, that put them on the back foot. And But it can't be underestimated how easy it would have been for them to throw in the towel there and then. And, and just sort of fold because we all know what's happened in London before we all know that Griffin Park um, can be that stereotypical difficult place to play because it's tight and an old ground and that but I thought they played very very well and, and it restored a lot of faith and they, they absolutely deserved a point if not more they played really well and you're right they could have folded quite easily and so many questions have been asked about their mentality and their psychological state that I think it was huge that they came back to draw the game and probably should have won it based on the amount of play they had. Not too many clear-cut chances, but they did have some. Um, one of my favourite bits of the of the entire trip was speaking to Thomas Frank afterwards, because of course he'd, he'd kind of landed those psychological bombs before the game, saying that he felt uh, certain that Leeds would fear coming to Brentford. They couldn't pick a worse place to go and play on the Tuesday night with the form Brentford were in, with the form Leeds were in, all of that. Um, so I asked him about that after the game. I, I asked him, did you feel that Leeds played with the fear you suspected they might? It was a little tongue-in-cheek, and, and he kind of saw the humour in that, and um, he kind of laughed it off, and then somebody else kind of pressed him on it and asked him again about, um, do you think you ticked them off and made them angry? Um, and he said no, that he thought it was very well done by you journal some of you journalists taking it out of context, which was very amusing because it was literally word for word and very much in context from a tweet from his very own club. And if you look at the article they put on their own website before the game, 
it was word for word what he said so you can't blame the press for for mixing his words up there that's a very soft um response i think but he he kind of had a half a grin on his face as he said it and he said some complimentary things about leeds as all managers do um and it was all very amicable and and he certainly didn't take umbrage at it um indeed gave my shoulder a squeeze on the way out as if to say you knew what you were doing you you irish (laughs) are you friends now um so i so i i count thomas frank now amongst my closest friends and (laughs) associates um but it was it was kind of refreshing because not all the press conferences we've been to of late have been a lot of fun there's been quite a lot of tension in the air and quite a lot of back and forth that at times hasn't really been necessary and we'll we'll get onto that a little bit later um after brentford it was bristol city at home great opportunity for leeds to maybe start to build a little bit of momentum um important as well because the gap had closed to, to goal difference, a gap that was once 11 points. In fact, in a live table at one stage, it was 13, I believe. And it was back, it had dwindled down to goal difference. But it said it all, I think, about the championship, that Leeds had that, that rocky, rocky spell in which everything was being questioned. And they didn't drop out of the top two. It's like the championship is just so competitive and so crazy and so difficult that no one can really get that momentum to take advantage if somebody slips up. But also says how crazy that run was that they went on where I think it was Leeds and West Brom essentially just won every week from, what was it, the start of November to mid-December, maybe even longer than that. But I think the, the big thing, and we've not touched on it yet, but the return of Calvin Phillips for both of those games, you can t- almost take him a little bit for granted when you see him every week in the team. But I think when you take him out and then put him in, after three games, you can actually see just how important and vital and that he is absolutely every penny a £30 million footballer. That's the impact he has on this team and, and how it is important to, to Bielsa. So I think when you put him in the side, they play a completely different way. Obviously, the injuries to Foreshore and, and other people like that have aided, but when you, it's, it's like anything, isn't it? Take a £30 million footballer out of the team, obviously they're going to be weaker. But him... I thought it was one of his best performances in midweek at Brentford and he if he probably equaled that on Saturday against Bristol City and it just shows, doesn't it, the sort of defensive solidity that they would have had two clean sheets if not for a slip from Kiko in those games and it's just the importance that he has and the impact he has in this team. His, his diagonal balls are just absolutely to die for and I think, I can't remember if it was you who tweeted out or whatever, but Harrison taking them down, you could you could watch that all afternoon, I think you said, and you're absolutely right because it's it's like something that you've never seen before. I could, I could watch it for 90 minutes, I think. <laughs> I'm not sure I could watch it for any longer than that, but I could definitely watch 90 minutes of Calvin Phillips picking up the ball and pinging it to Harrison to take down just wonderfully. Um, let's talk about Bristol City then. It was the most comprehensive 1-0 battering. It was a 1-0 right, wasn't it? Leeds United absolutely hammered Bristol City 1-0. Yeah, and Lee Johnson obviously made a, a thing at the handball, which, I mean, we've tried to see it back. I can't find an evidence of it happening. So I wonder if it even happened. It wasn't on the it wasn't on the Quest highlights. It's not on the LUTV highlights. I've seen a still photo, and that stills don't tell you a lot, so particularly I'm, I'm, when, when they're blurred. But I'm starting to think that it was an illusion. It never actually happened. Lee Johnson has played a trick on us all. Yeah. The greatest trick Lee Johnson ever <laughs> ever played was convincing us that that handball existed. Um, it gave him a get out of jail free card, though, didn't it? It did. Um, and in fairness, actually, t- to to be fair to him, he did say that his players hid in a lot 
like in the first half and that Leeds were absolutely deserved in victory. But it was an easy get out for him because he knew what the headline would be after he said that. So it did I feel knew, like... I knew what my headline would be <laughs> after he said that. <laughs> Thank you. Well, it's just like it's. I think the problem is that he doesn't endear himself to to fans of Leeds United when he he says stuff last year about like. I can't wait to play Leeds. Oh, I'd love it if we played Leeds in the playoffs. It's little things like that that, that just take. And the fact that people now make jokes about his height. You know, I'm not going to do that. Well, you can't do because I'm I'm a bigger man. Uh, well, are you though? <laughs> I'd like to, <laughs> I'd like to see the tail of the tape on that one. Um, and, and I don't speak. You know, I, I'm no giant myself. Um, <laughs> so Leeds United were were thoroughly dominant. They um, oh, sorry. They were on the ball a lot. They attacked a lot. They, they started the game like a house on fire, created a lot of chances, and there was a bit of pinball in the, in the box before the goal. And I, I genuinely think that Luke Ayling has stepped up to the plate. Not, th- not that he wasn't playing well, because I think he's been incredible since coming in. In fact, this week in the, y- the YEP, I'm going to write a piece about my belief that the right-back position has probably been Leeds United's most consistent position, like almost position of the season. Because you, you had Stuart Dallas, who started the season there brilliantly, and then Ayling came in, and Ayling's been brilliant ever since. We haven't missed Stuart Dallas at right-back because Ayling's been fantastic. And they both, at full-back, played so well on Saturday. I think Leeds United have almost hit the sweet spot with Dallas at left-back and QPR accepted, and, and Ayling at right-back. But Ayling has really stepped up. I thought at Forest he was okay, in a game where some players were, were off it, like Pablo, I thought, was really off it. Um, and I didn't think Pablo was great against Brentford, and I thought he, re- he he showed real signs of returning to form against Bristol City, picked up some great positions and, and, and dug out some unbelievable passes. But um, Ailing has been superb. And it, it, was, it was really fitting, actually, that he was the one who came out, agreed to do press after Forrest, when he must have been feeling lower than a snake's belly. And in fact, you can see, if you watch the interview, he's just so devastated by that defeat. But he put his hand in the air. Um, not everyone, when they win, I think, barring few exceptions, would say, yep, I'll do press, no problem. I'll go and, I'll go and talk after a Leeds United win. But to come out, to agree to come out and take the bullets after a defeat like that, said a lot about him and I thought it was a great reward for him a week later to see him crashing home the goal that would win the game for Leeds um, but it's all the little things as well that, it, that he did that Calvin Phillips played a bad ball or played the ball out of, out of, out of play and Ayling was straight on him and that's twice I've noticed in the last two games that he's not given anyone a free ride that if somebody's done something that they shouldn't have done or they haven't met the standards that they've set for themselves and bearing in mind, this is in the midst of two unbelievable performances from Cal Phillips. Luke Ayling was straight on him. And when the crowd made that kind of nervy noise when the ball got passed back to Kiko um, and, he, and he played it out and there was kind of the, the audible relief and a little bit of laughter as well, Ayling was turning around to the crowd and asking them to, to calm down. And the same when Bamford missed a chance, I think. I think he was spotted doing it as well. So for me, he is exhibiting the very leadership skills that we maybe wondered were lacking and that Leeds United really need for this run in. Yeah, it's good it's good to see. Um because it's hard to know whether 
like there is many leaders in the team without being in the team, if that makes sense, because you don't know what's said in the changing rooms, you don't know what's said in training, whatever. But he seems to be the one that's sort of taken it on his shoulders in the last few weeks. And his goal against Forest, like you're quite right, uh, sorry, his interview after Forest and then to get his goal this weekend against Bristol City was almost sort of like seven days is a long time in football. And it was just really good to see him. You know, you could put the two pitches together, wouldn't you? And you'd be like, that's, that must be months apart. But that's how that's how football works. Three, almost the, the dejection of everyone after Forest, thinking, here we go. And then to go to Brentford, put in a solid performance, which, you know, Ailing was a big part of. And then for him to score the winner, regardless of the fact that Leeds should have scored four on Saturday, which is just the theme of the season. And I don't think they're going to solve now. It's just going to be the thing that, that follows them around for the rest of the year. But to get that clean sheet was important for him and the back line, but also for Kiko, who, I don't know if you noticed, but he, he apologised just before kick-off because um, the fans started um, chanting his name and he just put his hands up and put put them together and then said sorry. But I think it's important that, they, that like you say with Ailing, that, that, that faith is restored very quickly in Kiko, regardless of what, happens off the field in the coming days or weeks um so yeah just important for a figure on the pitch to maybe try and restore that calm and we've seen him quite a lot recently he's had, he he does like to have a giggle with the opposition fans as well i think he was at it with brentford when he, he took a heavy touch but he's done it at like luton and fulham as well and he does like to have a laugh but he's very serious when it comes to comes to needing it and that interview after Forrest was probably as down as we've seen a Leeds player this season. But like you say, fast forward it one week and you see the picture of him ripping off his shirt and all that and it's it's just football. Yeah, that he'll probably be dining out on that picture for quite some time because it, it not only showed kind of his passion and a great moment for Leeds United, it showed the benefits of the Bielsa regime and the, the, the nutritional uh, intake they've got at Thorpe Arch because he is in unreal shape. Yeah, I think, well, I mean... It, this isn't a knock on Augustine, but it's very evident when you put someone who hasn't been working in that for six months or a year, for example, when they come into the team, they look unfit, even though they are absolutely not fit, not unfit. They're a professional footballer, like Augustine is ripped when you see him, but he's not like Bielsa fit, and they're all Bielsa fit, and it's in, it's it, there's a massive gap there, and it's I don't know if I'm explaining this remotely in any way that anyone's going to understand but it is evident that when you see Augustine come on that he isn't as fit as anyone else on the pitch and we understand when Bielsa says he needs to get up to speed etc but it is remarkable isn't it that a professional footballer who's played in Europe, in some of Europe's top leagues comes in and still isn't, isn't as fit as these players who we've been watching for 18 months nearly two years Yeah it is interesting um, Let's talk about Big Kev then because he did get on the pitch uh, for about 15 minutes was it something like that and maybe just a little bit more um, and I think he looked sharper than, yeah. he, than he has yeah, done yeah. I think there are there are encouraging signs there that he could be um, someone who could make an impact between now and the end of the season but he's nowhere near Bamford fit and he's n he's not really doing that role that Bamford does in the build-up to attacks so what what um, Jean-Kevin Augustin seems to do a lot is he gets on the last shoulder of the defender and he wants a ball played through or a ball played over the top and I think that's where he could be a real threat particularly when late in the game when games are stretched um, but we saw him get his first real chance at Brentford there was, a, there was a chance for him to strike a shot from the edge of the area and a defender probably regretted getting in the way because <laughs> it was him that Big Kev volleyed and, and not the ball but against Bristol City Calvin Phillips um, just capped his own brilliant performance by jumping up into the play, nicking the ball 
and then running down the left flank and playing the ball into Augustine. And he showed great movement to make space for himself. And he, he's got a real appetite for goals because he, he's almost got a shoot on sight mentality. You know, he, he shapes to shoot almost every opportunity he gets. Got a shot away and it was, I don't know, maybe a, a slightly less than a foot wide of the post. So it was close, but um, it would have been a great moment if he'd scored. But I also think it's maybe good that he didn't because I think the second he scores his first goal, it's going to be get him in the team. One chance, one goal, he's got to start. And I think if we're not ready to accept Bielsa's thinking now at this stage of the season, after everything we went through with Enkedia, that and everything we've been through in recent press conferences, then I don't think it's ever going to be accepted by the masses. I think people have just got to realise once and for all that a player cannot come in and play in this team until he's fully ready. He has to be better than the other options that Bielsa has. And at this minute in time, Augustine is not better than Patrick Bamford in the overall sense. He might be a better finisher. I don't know that for certain yet. But he's not a better all-round player right now for Leeds United. Well, it would be interesting to see him get a chance that, like for example, the the one where Costa pulls it back to Bamford and he hits it straight at, at Daniel Bentley. Or it's a bit harsh saying he hits it, straight, but Bentley saves and because he dives into the middle of the goal. For example, if he's a bit more clinical in that sense that he's he you know he's he's got the whole goal to aim at, he can get a clear connection on it and find the bottom corner. Because we've not seen him actually get a clear cut, you would argue, opportunity yet in a Leeds United shirt. Obviously, he's come on in a few diff- difficult circumstances, either at Brentford when the sort of game's gone quite even, at Forest where they're chasing, and at Bristol City where Leeds are maybe naturally, like every team, still in control of the game but dropping a little bit further back and maybe not committing as much um, forward. So it's just going to be interesting to see how quickly he can get up to speed because he's got 13 games left to have an impact but you know this is him at probably what 60 50 60 percent if that 70 do you think mm. because we've just not seen any oh until he until he does start a game if he's forced to start a game like say Bamford gets a knock or something like that then we're never going to have the answer to this question are we but we're, we've been promised a, a clinical finisher but we, he hasn't actually been represented with any ch- chances yet so we don't we can't say for definite either way but if they do go up, he he it looks like he might be something that can that can do that. But it's it's going to be difficult because everyone else in this team, like we say, when he comes on, has been under the Bielsa regime for nearly two years, barring a couple of signings from the summer. So it's just evident when you see it on the pitch. Like I say, he's he's absolutely fit as a fiddle, but not Bielsa fit. And that sounds really stupid when you say it out loud. And if you don't watch Leeds every week, you probably think, what are you on about? If you don't watch Leeds every week, you're probably not listening to this podcast. That's true. Yeah. Or offering people TVs in (laughs) Toddington South (laughs) service station. Yeah. Um, I think think Bamford's performance and the glimpses we've had of Augustine should probably put the debate to bed about who should start. Yes, Bamford should be so much more clinical than he is. But also... You have to take into account the fact that if he was a 25-goal-a-season striker, he's probably gone. You know, he's probably been bought. He's probably in the Premier League already. Um, you don't tend to get kind of 25, 30-goal-a-season strikers in the Championship who can do everything Bamford can do. Um, and I think he showed that on Saturday. The rest of his uh, his skill set with some of his turns and some of his play, even when he he, he kind of spun 
on a sixpence and got away from a defender and charged up the field um, and then just slipped and fell and it was all a bit Bambi on ice. But then he regained his feet, kept the ball and played it out to the left wing and the chance kind of carried on. Um, I, I, it kind of fills into that feeling of he's a much better finisher when he's not got any time to think about it. It's almost like when he has too much time, like when the ball gets deflected into his path and he knows the keeper's scrambling he just and then he mishits it. It's just sometimes you just feel like he's he's better off if the ball just comes to him quickly and he's just hitting it. Yeah, there was that chance, wasn't it, where he spun towards the edge of the box and just whacked it first time and came came close. It was a good chance. Well, good. Well, it was on his stronger he, foot. He as made well. a good chance yeah. from that. But that that was great centre forward play. And if that goes in the bottom corner, that's probably his best goal this season. It's just one of them where you are. Like, I think back to a lot of his goals this season and last, and I think a lot of them are. Not all of them, but I think a lot of them are probably, you'd say, are, are quick finishes, if you see what I mean. Instinctive. Mm. Yeah. That's probably the better word. Um, we'll continue on the theme of attack, and we'll talk about Helder Costa and, and Jack Harrison as a pair. Harrison has been showing his first touch repeatedly. He's been showing his work rate. He's been getting at people. He's been beating people. He, he, he produced one piece of skill on Saturday that, that I can't even... I can't even really picture how he did it in my mind. It was at the byline, and he did something with his legs. It was like his legs swapped places briefly <laughs> and then swapped back again, and the defender kind of didn't know what to do or where to be and was so horrified that he just let Harrison go past him. But there was lots of that. There's lots of skill. There's lots of beating players. There's lots of getting into great positions. There are some decent balls into the box that haven't Leeds haven't taken advantage of, but... I don't think even he'd say he's been consistent with his delivery. And it's a similar story on the right flank, where Helder Costa is getting into great positions. He's terrifying defenders with his pace. He's running at people. He's getting leads up the pitch very, very quickly. But, again, he's struggling to produce consistently the kind of deliveries that will that will bring goals. Yeah, I think a lot of people were, were arguing before um, the game on Saturday that they felt like Pablo should maybe be pushed back out wide and, and they'd like to see Shackleton come into the middle and, and Costa dropped. But I think it was a, a it was a timely performance from Helder in, in that it kind of showed the pace and, the, and what he brings to the team out there because I think there was one moment in the first half where Hernandez, maybe 10 years ago, would have had the chance to knock the ball past the, the, the full-back and run in behind. But because he's sort of a bit older now and he's got a bit more experience, he had to cut back because he just knew he wasn't going to outpace him. Whereas Helder did that five or six times throughout the afternoon and the fullback was... As a fullback, the worst thing it can be is running back towards your own goal with the, with the man in front of you, you know, charging down the wing. And we saw it how many times with his pace. And I think that's what Bielsa likes out wide is the, the fact that Harrison and Costa are so pacey that when they do get into these little triangles, you see Click running beyond the man all the time that they like to get this pace out wide. And how many times we see it in the first half where Costa was into the box to the byline and either cutting it back or I think he cut back onto his left foot and had a shot at one point. And I think that's what Bielsa likes and I think that's why he's sticking with him. But he almost reminds me a little bit of Harrison last year and the way that Bielsa stuck by him. And now he's sort of reaped the rewards of having Harrison for almost two years in that Harrison is far and away. I've got a lot of time for Jack Harrison. I think he's a great winger and I, I think Leeds should sign him in the summer regardless of, of whether they go up or not. But it just almost reminds me of, of the way that people have been getting on his back and saying, you know, obviously it's always difficult when you come with a, a big price tag. But I think the more he spends in this team, 
the better he's going to develop because he's obviously come from a team at Wolves who I think were dominant but like to very much play to his strengths in terms of pacing behind and the first time we've sort of seen that on on Saturday really was he, he you know the first time he managed to do it a lot against Bristol City or any a lot of opposition that weren't sitting back from the start really um so I just think Leeds need to just to, to, to stick by him and I think Bielsa has done that and it's almost a, a repeated story I think with Harrison from last year it's very brave of Bristol City to not press the ball. It was whatsoever. weird, wasn't it? Because what did they start with a four-four-two? Well, they kind of had. It, we thought it was a back three to begin with, yeah. and then and then it quickly settled into a four-four-two. Really, but, but isn't it? It's not. Is it not even more remarkable the fact that we're playing four-four-two? They weren't pressing, but Leeds got in behind them so much. Leeds got in behind them. Got in behind their midfield in the central area, and they got in behind their fullbacks. But I think that's testament to the movements that Leeds created. And scripted in movements ter- yeah, in terms of dragging people out of their natural position. Very scripted movements, um, to quote. I like Scotty how Parker. your um, eyes are widening when you're <laughs> saying that to me. Almost quite seductive. Um, it, Scotty Parker was quite seductive when he said it. Um, Have you seen his chin, though? Oh. <laughs> let's, let's not make another enemy of the YEP. Enough of those. As it is, um, yeah. That would be again, my next encounter. Again, we've said it before, haven't we? Everyone knows what Leeds United are going to do. Very few people can stop them, mm. other than Leeds United. Um, Kiko Garcia, then, um, great for him to get a clean sheet. Even though he, you can't really say he earned the clean sheet because he had what, one save from a from a very tame header. Yeah, I guess so. But at the same time, it was almost back to what they were doing at the start of the season when they had the best defensive record in the country in that they basically just limited the opposition to very, very little and obviously Bielsa, as he, as he has defended him for a lot of time in his press conference in the last few weeks, says it's very difficult to be a goalkeeper who's not involved at all and then you're demanded to to sort of save a few shots at the end or whatever and he's not been doing that consistently. And I think there was that stat, wasn't there, where his, his shot-to-goal ratio went through the roof from, what was it, end of November to, to now. So it, it almost, the percentage of shots that he was saving almost halved. Which is incredible, but I don't know whether you, you can just, again, going back to the return of Calvin Phillips, you almost stop it at source with Calvin yeah, in there. Do, yeah, he, needs, he wasn't being as protected over the last kind of six weeks um, as he was in that period when Leeds were just mean, defensively mean. Is that you? <laughs> no, that is not me. That's a. It sounds like a. It sounds like a a hand drill. I hope. A cordless Kiko drill. Casilla's hands are okay. Um, it sounds like a drill, doesn't it? Um, big week for Casilla off the field because this is the week when his um, hearing for an FA. <laughs> I can't believe that we're recording the most serious section of the podcast and there is a drill there is a drill um, I just hope that whatever is being fixed is, is really worth it um, <laughs> dairy me anyway Kiko Casilla will have his just shout just shout louder Kiko Casilla will have his you want to, what did you say <laughs> we're going to get back to all those tweets about can you can you speak up was it a podcast for mice well, that never made sense to me like, is it a podcast for mice what do we sound small? As if all are, mice we, are we quiet or as, small? As if all mice have hearing difficulty. The, these podcasters <laughs> are small. These podcasters are far away. Um, uh, Kiko Casilla <laughs> this week will stand in front of the FA, charged with 
racism for something allegedly said to Jonathan Lecco in the game against Charlton back in September. It has taken an awful long time for this to come to a head. Leeds United players will be there giving evidence um, to his character. And um, as been has been reported by The Athletic from David Ornstein, Eddie Nketiah will give evidence on Kiko Kazia's behalf as well. Um, we're not going to really know all the ins and outs of that hearing until the written reasons are published by the FA, and, and it will make for very, very interesting reading. I get the, I get that sinking feeling that it's going to be one of these really, really messy ones because there's not going to be a conclusion that is satisfactory for all, because the FA's standard of proof is, of course, balance of probability. So if there are two people saying that somebody said it, and one person saying I did not say it then the likelihood is that that person gets found guilty and the charge of racism sticks. Um, now, that is not at all to suggest that the two people are lying, um, but it's not the same standard of proof as in a, a criminal uh, trial. And, and Leeds have made that point, that they, f they feel that the allegations are, are of a serious enough nature that it should be innocent until proven guilty. Um, but such as it is, that will be the standard of proof that the FA use when the evidence is heard by the panel and it looks like a six-game ban if he is proven guilty and it's probably prudent to say little else on the subject um, other than in a, in a pure footballing sense and I know that football takes a back seat uh, at times like this because racism is a, an issue that football has been guilty of, of not taking seriously enough at times and it needs to be taken incredibly seriously but on a pure footballing term Leeds United have Ilan Meslier who will come in if Casilla is banned and on the the 90 minutes that we've seen him in first team action and the and the however many minutes you've seen him in action for the 23s he looks like a player. He does yeah he's he's been very good this season. Interesting that he's he's not really played the last few weeks um because Leeds I think have wanted to give a uh, new signing Elia Capriel some minutes who saved a penalty last week and was due to play today but the under 23s got postponed which was a bit of a shame but yeah, um, Mesley has been very good and I think everyone got a little bit of exposure to to his um, distribution at Arsenal and he'll, if he does get called upon, I'm, I'm sure, you know, if, if he gets put into a defence like the one at, on, at Ellen Road on Saturday against Bristol City, then I don't think he'll have a lot to do. I, I just hope and pray that he plays a long through ball for Jean-Kevin Augustin to score and we can use the French connection as a headline. I just, you know, you know, when you really. How long need have you been thinking? Did you wake up at like two o'clock in the morning and think of that? No, no, I, I've just, Ting. I've just thought of it now. It's the kind of stuff that just rolls off, that just trips off the tongue for me. It's just off the, off the cuff, um, but it's the kind of thing you really want to happen. It would be a remarkable thing for that to happen, but I'm, I'm going to say it doesn't. <laughs> okay. Sorry. Um, we'll not put any money on it because I feel like I'm, I might lose money, uh, and it cost me enough driving you to Brentford. Um, Oh, I should have bought a TV for you instead. Barnsley beat Fulham, three 0 at Fulham. Remarkable, yeah. But we're talking about Casilla having goalkeeping nightmare. Did you see Rodak? Yeah. Holy wow! Hold my beer. Holy wow! Um, uh, some pretty incredible. How stuff. didn't he get sent off as well? You know when he, he mm. gives the penalty away, he's not made an attempt at the ball. He's literally dragged him out. But I think anyway, the referee felt felt sorry for Fulham. They're being run roughshod by these, these Yorkshire Terriers. It doesn't really matter. Um, well, it was nil-nil at that point. <laughs> yeah. But how incredible and how championship for the team in third 
you know, with Leeds having struggled of late and only won a couple of games in 12, to then go and get pumped 3-0 at home by the bottom side. It, uh, Barnsley. It is just the championship all over, isn't it? Like, and the, and the only way you can explain there it. There was as much laughter, I think, in the roar that went up at Elland Road when the results came up at full time on the big screen. There was as much laughter and mirth in that chair as there was any kind of relief that everyone was just thinking, it's the championship, it's crazy. It's yeah. unbelievable. I mean, how else do you explain it? Because everything on paper points to a, a home win and a home win with ease, but... I, I, I don't know what is it they've taken six points off them this year yeah, taken six of Barnsley's <laughs> very few points have come from Fulham um, which is absolutely amazing unbelievable but Wigan beat Leeds at home you know so these results happen and they will continue to happen the championship will still be the championship from now until the end of the season and fully expect more eye-popping results but on that we do have to mention the fact that I think I can't remember who it was it might have been the BBC put up a um a list of who who has to play who in the top seven, I think it is. And Leeds only have one left. And I think Fulham have five, six? Yeah, I suppose that... Well, Do you, do you see that as so they're going to have to play teams scrapping for their lives? Are they going to have to... There, will there be banana skins for Leeds instead? Or would they rather play teams who like to play a bit of football? Although in saying that, who actually does try and play a bit of football against Leeds? Well, at Ellen Road, no one. Has anyone come to Ellen Road this year and, and tried to play football? I'm trying to think off the top of my head very quickly. I'm, strugg- I'm struggling. Let me just insert some elevator music while we think about this. I'm, str- I'm struggling to think of a team who came and tried to be expansive. All the managers say the same, though. If, if we try to be expansive against Leeds United, we'll get picked apart. And they know they will because of the way Leeds break and the Leeds on, on the transition are, are frightening. When did they play West Brom? Uh, that was much earlier in the season. That was probably it. When West did Brom they win that, that game? They no, did. it was 1-1. They, no, no, they won it 1-0. Did they? They did. From <laughs> See, a, that's, from how a Kyle good, that's how good West Brom played in that second half. And that's how good I am. So West Brom are the only team to play for 45 minutes at Ellen Road this season. Yeah. So that's the challenge set for all the other uh, teams to come down Ellen Road. Come on, season. Reading. Come, come and play. Step up and play. Um, so we've got Reading at home. We'll speak to Marcelo Bielsa on Thursday. Let's hope that this press conference is a little more jolly than some of the previous ones have been, because they ha- they have been terse, haven't they? They've been tense and a little awkward at times. Um, we've ca- almost taken it in turns to incur the wrath of uh, Leeds United's head coach and and suffer the, the death stare. Although he did make clear in a recent press conference that he was not feeling tension. Um, it was Matt Dickinson from The Times, wasn't it, who said, I- I'm, I'm a newcomer, I'm an outsider to this, and I'm feeling there's quite a lot of tension in this room. And Bielsa said, no, no, I'm not feeling tension or pressure. I speak in this in this way, in this animated way, when I am attempt when I'm interested in um, basically conveying his message. When he's really trying to convince that what he's that he's so sure about what he's saying, but it has felt tense um, in recent press conferences, and some of that hasn't felt entirely necessary. And I don't think it's been entirely helpful to the message Leeds United are trying to put out that everything's fine, we've got it all covered. Um, so. Hopefully he's in a good mood this week. Hopefully the questions are all good and we get all the detail we want. I hate the fact that he thinks there's something wrong with explaining himself in depth because when he talks in depth, we often get great content. We might not get headlines, but we get great content and, and a great chance to analyse what it is he's saying and and, uh, and how leads play. I just think it's been reflective of, of what's been going on the pitch. Um, and like you say, maybe it's been 
born a little bit from tension despite him saying otherwise but there hasn't been many chuckles or laughs recently and in, in he was doing that at the start of the season he was doing that last year so we had a right laugh when when <laughs> oh, we when, when uh when he took my recommendation for the short corners his words his words joe yeah his words but i just think yeah the last few few months maybe have, have been frustrating to him because I can't remember which comment it was, but you picked up on it a while back where he, he essentially said, if they li- if everyone, I think it was after Wigan, when I, I, he essentially said along the lines of, if everyone's going to play like us, uh, like that against us, what's the point? <laughs> <laughs> Marcelo, yeah, was, do you want a hug? It was, yeah, that was somewhat alarming and, and a little bit defeatist. It was almost like they packed the penalty area. It's impossible. You yeah. know, what do you expect me to do? Um, but he always prefaces it by saying, I'm not saying the way Wigan play is wrong. I'm not condemning that. I'm just saying that I would never play like that. Um, I think we can all agree that that's not football. You know, you do what you have to do with the tools at your disposal to get the results you need, particularly when it would be horrific financially for a club like Wigan to drop out of the championship. But well, how many managers have built careers off that Sam Allardyce? And, and the weird thing is that, that Cookie... <laughs> Cookie is a manager who who can get a side really playing. Like his Chesterfield side, I think played four two three one and and played some unbelievable stuff. In fact, if you're really interested, and I'm not sure any of you I'm are, I'm not sure anyone is. There's a clip of a, a passage of play that his Chesterfield side put no. together en route to a goal, no. and it was like 91 <laughs> passes or something. Yeah, but I think you, as a manager, you are limited to resources, aren't you? But at the same time, you talk about people like Sam Allardyce and, and old school managers, or how we what we perceive to be old school managers in that they always tend to be brought in with sides struggling and the first job they are and and anyone that has to do with the struggling team or a team that's down the bottom is to make them structurally sound. So maybe there's a bit of that. But I and, think maybe, it's, and maybe it's also a doff of the cap to Leeds United. Like well, that's what I was about to say. Like every, I said like, it. All right, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, but like we've just said there, only one team has really essentially come to Ellen Road to play 45 minutes, if not 90 in West Brom. So... It's not just the Wiggins or yeah. Cooks of this world that are doing that. It's literally every team. Lee Johnson at the weekend did it. So, and well, they're, I, I and they're seventh. What, I don't know what they did. To be well, he had, he had a random timeout, didn't he? It was almost like the basketball. Time, the timeout. I, I felt like I was back covering the Sheffield Steelers. It was absolutely incredible. Because <laughs> he basically told Vyman to go down. Yeah, Vyman was, yeah. and, and this is fact, we saw this. A member of staff pointed to the deck. Vyman went down. He gathered all the players in. Vyman had lengthy treatment. They'd, or, they'd already prepared the sub, so they knew Vyman was going off. So Vyman didn't have to go down for treatment on the pitch. He should have just walked off. The referee allowed it to happen. Um, Luke Ayling tried to get in the middle of the huddle and got a, a little shove from Lee Johnson. Um, and I think social media maybe could have made, made a meal of that, but it was, it was all quite lighthearted. It wasn't like he, he, he really shoved him, and Luke, to his credit, didn't make a meal of it either. Um, what he should have done was, was gone down holding his face. Um, <laughs> in one of the most cynical acts of, of footballing <laughs> history and got Lee Johnson sent off in the middle of his time out. Um, but it, it, was, it was almost like, what, is, what on earth is happening to us? What are we doing here? We're getting pummeled. And if I don't do something drastic now, this is going to get worse. So he called all his players in for a team talk. And, and let's, let's be honest, the second half was slightly better for Bristol City. It wasn't as bad. There were still periods of pressure. I hate that, but, I mean, Bamford missed. Harrison at the bar. Helder Costas should have scored. Like, they still know. should. They still should have scored like four goals after half time. Credit to Daniel Bentley for that save on Helder Costa, by the way. Because be at the time, him, yeah. at the time, I thought Helder Costa, what have you done? Well, I thought I actually had a really good game. He was probably their man of the match. 
and he made three saves that were very, very good. So, fair dues. Yeah. Um, I think that's all. I think we're waffling now, so we'll uh, we'll wind it up. For more sounds of drilling. Uh, <laughs> yeah, apologies, <laughs> apologies for the sound of drilling, particularly those who who um, who've had difficult experiences with the dentist. I know that might bring back some, <laughs> some horrific memories. Flashbacks. Um, not me, because I've, um, I've got pretty gleaming dental record. But um, thanks very much for joining us. Thanks for on, that. Uh, <laughs> on the Inside Ellen Road podcast, we'll hopefully be back scheduling allowing next week to talk about however uh, Leeds oh, played good. there's like three games next week no chance yeah there's a lot don't of football don't a lot make, of football to come don't make promises you can't commit to. lots of football to come <laughs> lots of podcasts to come thanks very much <laughs>